Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey guys, welcome to the I Don't Get It podcast. Today it is me and Naz and a couple guests that have been affected by ovarian cancer. Today, um, this month, September, is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. And it's been something that I've been aware of um, for the past seven years. My One of my good friends and my, ba- um, my bridesmaid, Jamie Hoskins, yeah. um, I met her while her mom was in treatment for ovarian cancer um, in grad school and um, her mom didn't make it and um, it just I was with her mm-hmm. and became friends with her at that that really difficult time like that last couple month period so I've wow. always felt very close to the cause of spreading the awareness especially since it's something that they call the silent killer because their symptoms are so um, they're so silent until yeah. it's progressed to normally like a stage four. But we have Sharon Blinn here in studio with us, and mm. she's an actress. She was actually most recently seen in Captain Marvel, so that's so pretty sick. cool. I can't wait to ask you about it because I'm obsessed yeah. with Captain That's very Marvel. awesome. Um, and you have now fought ovarian cancer three times. Yes, and I had it survivor. three times in three years. Um, I'm, I'm so excited that we're doing this podcast because I know that I've always known that breast cancer awareness month was October because I feel like that's just been drilled in my head and honestly the world turns pink in October and nothing in September nothing in September tell in your eyes that that is kind of bothering um and (laughs) it's bothering to me too especially after like being with Jamie and her always being like oh well everybody knows it's breast cancer awareness Mm -hmm. month everybody knows the signs of it yeah um well that's what I was just gonna say it wasn't until I met you that I feel like ovarian cancer kind of came up and then all of a sudden I was like what is ovarian cancer so I was hoping that you could just at least start off with that for everyone like listening for maybe people that don't know what it is sure um ovarian cancer is a bitch yeah Yeah. (laughs) um I actually kind of flipped it on its head a little bit, but you know, I'm a kind of a nerd, so I just figured, okay, she's a bitch, and she's like one of my asshole professors in school, but I'm going to learn a lot from her. I'm not going to like her, but I'm going to learn a lot. So that's how I sort of put a little positive spin on it. But anyway, ovarian cancer is a cancer that, that occurs on or in or within the ovaries, and there is no early detection test. This is why awareness is uh, fundraising. I think it's more important to do fundraising for developing early detection for ovarian mm. cancer since there is no test. Wow. As you alluded to, there's symptoms that are, um, they're not so much silent. The reason they're silent, it's, it's more that they're confused for other things. They can be bloating. endometriosis, bloating, uh, pain during sex, uh, frequent urination, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, which nobody wants to leap from, oh, I have a stomach ache to, oh, maybe that's ovarian cancer. Right. And so there's, since there's no test, 
at, so, at a certain point, the symptoms do have to get bad enough where ultimately it's surgical intervention becomes, you have to have a surgery, then they do a biopsy, and then they look at it under a microscope. And even but you don't want to have a surgery every time you have a stomach ache. Right. right. And right. you're also That's thinking wild. like, oh, I can brush that off as that. I can brush that off as that. Right. You know, and there's and so many other general, excuses. We have so much stuff going on in our reproductive areas. Like every mm-hmm. month we have right. some painful yeah. stuff going on. That it could be a bajillion things. <laughs> yeah. And, and we also, as women, I think we are just socialized to power through stuff. We are, we're too busy to That's deal so with true. pain and I'm too busy taking care of other people and I, you know, going to the doctor. But with ovarian cancer, there's no necessarily not a point. I want to say no point, but going to a doctor, you wouldn't necessarily, number one, the doctor wouldn't even necessarily go down that path with you. I went down the gastroenterological path. That's, really? like, yeah. that's a great word to yeah. try and say 10 times. Yeah. Well, I've had to go, I have endo and fibroids, so I've also had to yeah. go multiple times, but yeah. they didn't even know I had endo. I've shared this already on the podcast until they, I had surgery for my fibroids. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, well, how would I have known? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's There's wild. a lot. It's not as like, you know, in the, when you look at an anatomy test textbook, the the fallopian tubes are like, you know, it's all nice and neat and laid out. But and pretty really, and pink. It's pretty and all spread yeah. out and neat. Everything is separate. But actually in the body, our bodies, it's all scrunched together in a very tight area. Mm-hmm. And, and it's always moving. There's there's blood flow, there's, there's everything is happening and the ovaries are expanding and contracting and flo- things are flowing in and out of that area. So it's, it's not a static little pretty little picture. Right. And so that's part of what also makes ovarian cancer challenging, uh, even in terms of treatment, is the ovaries are constantly in a damage or repair cycle. The, mm-hmm. the eggs leave the ovaries, so there's the damage to the cells and the lining and then it repairs itself. So it's... It's not like this static thing that can just be focused on and there's no test. So that's the, that's the real thing for me. My awareness is around developing early detection tests to give us the same advantage that everybody talks about with breast cancer, which is early detection saves lives. Right. It sure does. What's that B-something test? It's a well, blood there, test, right? BRCA1 and 2, yeah. which is what you might be thinking mm-hmm. of. That's a genetic test. Oh, which there's, that's, to see if it runs in your family. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's a genetic mutation. I don't mutation. think that's what it is. There's not a blood tests where if you like are feeling symptoms that they that they have there you is it? I don't like to talk about it because people think it's a test and it's not it's oh, called the CA one twenty no debunk the myth yes debunking yeah it's, uh, the CA one twenty five test is a blood test that people talk about that's the one sorry the B was it wrong. is not a diagnostic test it okay. can be elevated if you have endometriosis it can be elevated if you have a fever it can be elevated while you're ovulating. Interesting. So the, the so value, it's not a good barometer, in other no, words, because no. it could pick up other things that aren't ovarian cancer. It can be cancer. elevated for some other reason. And it even says on the lab results when you get the CO125, mm-hmm. not a diagnostic test. So huh. it, it says that. So the possibly way, if you get it and then it comes back with a result of some kind, then they can further investigate it. Well, but it's not going to tell you the answer, yes or no. No. The, way, the, the value of the test is once you know you've had it or you have it, mm-hmm. then you take it every month for at the same time every month and if it's going up and continues going up outside of the normal range and it keeps doing that then you know something's going on okay uh if you're doing that without having ovarian cancer if you already have it or you've had it then it's again it's the same thing where you're just monitoring that level because the test itself in 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 healthy women will go up and down it could be eight it could be 25 and then three and because again the ovaries are constantly moving and doing things so the activity is going to constantly change as my my oncologist described it as it's not like a thumb that just looks 
the same all the time. Mm-hmm. The ovaries are constantly changing shape and, and there's liquids and flowing things happening. So the test itself on its own once a year would mean absolutely nothing. Okay, so then the only way of detecting it is, is it through ultrasound to see if you have a cyst that looks abnormal? Yeah, ultimately it's a combination of... There's a, there's a bunch of things you might do at a gynecological exam, which includes the, the manual, the digital exam, which I had a normal, my, my gynecologist went up in there, he, he inserts the fingers insert, and then, Wait, was, yeah. is it the insert with the ultrasound tip? Because that no, kind of freaks me out. this is like with the hand, oh, the fingers, with, okay. put the fingers in and then you press against, the doctor presses against the ovaries. To see if there's... And, yeah. and can f- actually physically feel the surface of the ovaries and okay. see if right. there's something there. Okay. Yeah. Um, and if there's nothing there, so uncomfortable it is. I hate that. Yeah, but that is the way that they check it when you go in for your regular checkup. That's, or what about a pelvic ultrasound? With well, that, the, the, the transvaginal ultrasound is like yeah. the higher power. Yeah, that's the one with the with the rod that goes. Right. Yeah, the, I've gotten that one too. Yeah. yeah, so that one is again quite detailed, but it won't tell you the 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 pathology of what if there is a cyst or something. I had very cystic ovaries actually naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I had pain or other stuff going on. I sort of got used to it in a certain way. Mm. And so they would show the cysts and the pain is when the cyst bursts and goes back to normal. But yeah. that bursting thing is really painful. Oh, so yeah. I had really painful periods all the time. Wow. And I didn't want to go on birth control, <laughs> which ironically I went on immediately when I was diagnosed. And did that it, help they mask say, the symptom? They say that birth control can help uh, like slightly eliminate Getting can, ovarian cancer, right? Well, because the nature of it is what it does is puts the ovaries to rest. Mm-hmm. So they're not doing all that mm. stuff they're doing. Right. right. It's not it, so like what you were saying earlier. Other cells, yeah, yeah develop cancerous cells. If they're right. in there, they're not mul- dividing and multiplying because gotcha. they're at rest. Yeah. So you're kind gotcha. of on a mechanical uh, cycle. Yeah. <laughs> so then when you got diagnosed, you went on it and that is so that it stops the multiplying. Right. So they put it at rest and they can deal with what's actually already there in terms of the tumors that were there. Like I I, I thought I had uh, irritable irritable bowel syndrome first. Mm -hmm. Then this stomach thing, I had some stomach pains that were like debilitating stomach pains. They also say that's a symptom. It's not always in the ovary area, but it also can be in the stomach area. Yeah, it was like across the whole Mm -hmm. abdominal area. Mm -hmm. I just these sharp pains like for 16, 18 hours. I had two incidents like that a few weeks apart. So then that's when I said, okay, well, I have to see some doctors and Mm -hmm. figure out what's going on. Sharon, this sounds a lot like endo. Yeah. Does it does it like commonly get confused with endo? Yes. The wow. common misdiagnoses are endometriosis, irritable bowel syndrome is is a is the most common misdiagnosis actually. Right. Because again, it's like it's something gastroenterological. We don't want to deal with surgery or leap to the idea of saying you might have cancer. Right. So the doctors don't even necessarily know the right questions to ask, but but again, ultimately, the only way to actually find it is now you have to you decide have to if you're going to have surgery. Yeah. And cut, get cut, cut open and take yourself. some stuff out and look at it under a microscope, okay. which is scary as hell. I have a question. Can we live without our ovaries? Yes, we can. So then yeah. is this something that you can get your ovaries removed and then theoretically be healed? That's what a lot that's of women do. That's a partial hysterectomy. Yeah. Yeah. You can. I, I am not a let's leap into removing bodily organs from our bodies uh, kind of person, but because it does change your biochemistry. Here's the other interesting thing about ovaries, which if you know you have ovarian cancer, you may not want to risk just taking one out. But you mm. can, an ovary is fully functional with just a sliver of ovarian tissue in your body. Hmm. That's really? how badass these ovaries That's are. That's amazing. The way. So you could and like remove cool. one technically. You can remove one ovary and be fully Whoa. functional. And it's the size of an almond. That's a. 
The sacks of life, the source of life, Wait, is yeah. the size of an almond. Our ovaries are the size of an almond. Yeah, the size you know the of in, almonds. The entire female reproduction, it can be if you so put your little. thumbs together and your index finger together and make that little triangle. Like I that. always knew it was that, but I didn't realize that the actual ovary was like the almond. It's like yeah, the it's size. That's, that's, that's my oncologist shared that with me too. Yeah. So then, you know, and now I love eating almonds. Yeah. Like I'm communing that's with my, so the funny. spirit of my ovaries. Well, that makes sense because my fibroids <laughs> were going to crush my ovaries. So that actually makes mm. more sense because I was like, how would they crush this big thing? But it's yeah, a no, little they're, they're tiny. I just thought it was bigger. Yeah. <laughs> you can. I mean, I don't have ovaries anymore. Now I had to yeah. ultimately. I was 28 at the time of my diagnosis, so I didn't want to be in menopause at 28. Right. right. Takes you into so menopause. they right. first took out the the main tumor, which was like the size of a grapefruit, uh, from the wow. from the yeah from the right ovary. They took out wow. the right ovary and that tumor, and then part of the left ovary. And I was still fully functional, but I was on birth control. And you at that were point 28 anyway. years old. I was 28, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to. Kids are not, like, and that's the scary thing too. Is when this comes up, you're like, oh, do I want to have kids? I have to make decisions yeah. right now. Exactly. That's kind of what I had to do too. I mean, but obviously, this is like you know on a higher level. That's sort of, why. Yeah, you got a little mortality question right. looming. Over right. You. Right. But it, yeah. So what'd you, you do? Well, at first they took out just one ovary, and and my surgeon was really he's like an angel. He. Um, talked to me in ways that I hadn't heard a medical professional really do in terms of the language he used. Like, cause like I, was, what, I was way. really concerned about, you know, well, what does it mean to, you know, can you not just take out my ovaries without, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, this is the exact phrase he used, which I always, uh, he said, oh. I will do my best to honor your feelings while I'm in there. Oh. But I don't, won't know until I get in there. I won't be able to see what's going on, but I'll do my best to honor your feelings while I'm in there. That is the most comforting thing to hear yeah. going into surgery. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm a, I want to know everything. So I'm asking him all kinds of detailed questions. I wanted to see pictures. He would not. He did not show me pictures really? of, my, of my tumors until I was officially more in remission after the yeah. third recurrence. I wanted that. to take mine home in a jar. He wouldn't let me do it. Well, yeah. when, it, when I saw the pictures, I understood why. Yeah. Because it probably would... I, I, probably would have freaked out and had even other kinds of different nightmares but wow. but he I, he knew I was the person I wanted to know everything and mm-hmm. it was like because my my thing was well I'm going to be knocked out on a table spread open and you're going to be gutting me like a fish so I want to vi- I want to do visual exercises I want to be able to do things to visualize what you're doing and support you energetically in some way mm-hmm. while I'm knocked out yeah. So he would describe what's going to happen, but then some questions he'd be like, mm, "I'm not going to discuss that right now." And then wow. my concern about, you know, well, I don't want you to just go in there and take stuff out. And he said, "Then that's when he said that beautiful thing of like, okay, Aww. I feel so safe right now, and it was so beautiful." Um, and he, so he did. He took out just the right ovary and the tumor and parts of my left ovary. I had little implants and nodules throughout the abdominal cavity. I t- lost my omentum, which is this sheath that separates it, um, those organs from the rest of the abdominal organs. Wow. So, so implants and nodules had to be taken off, but I didn't lose parts of my other like bladder or anything like that. But there were, there were nodules and stuff on those um, organs. But he just did that. And then we did chemo. And also I had a rare form and he wasn't sure if chemo would work. So we did a consensus of what should we do? He so asked question, if it comes out, mm-hmm. again, I, I don't know anything about this. Yeah. So it's not completely out. You have to go through chemo for well because Because they don't know, and I was stage 3C, so late stage. Got it. Um, because they're not sure on a cellular level what's left in there. They can take out what they can physically see when he's doing surgery, you know. Um, but there's stuff possibly on a cellular level. And uh. based on the timeline of what, I was. I had a normal gynecological exam 
in August and in October I had this grapefruit-sized tumor. So it seemed like an aggressive form that of cancer. That grew really cancer. fast. Yeah. So they felt like you're young enough, you're strong, better safe than sorry, let's go aggressive and do chemo. Mm-hmm. It came back during chemo after my fourth treatment. So obviously the chemo wasn't working. So then we went back to surgery again and I said, can you just take out part of the left ovary and not the whole thing so I'm not in menopause at 28, question mark? And he said, yes, but again, I don't know until I go back in and look at things, but, and, but again, I will do the very best I can to whatever. And then he took out part of my left ovary, so I was in remission for a year. And then, so I had to do my tests every month. I was doing the CA-125 mm-hmm. and a CAT scan. Um, and then when it came back, get like my CA-125 went up again, and so it was back. And then here's another beautiful moment where you don't hear doctors do this sort of thing, but by when that, the, that next recurrence... He said, look, I, you know, we've been together for two years now Aww. and I'm, I'm putting your feelings ahead of my medical opinion mm. about God. what to do. Yeah. So I want you to... Great a, bedside manner. Amazing. Who is this man? His name is Dr. James Aileen. He's Shout in South out. Florida. Shout oh, out. I'm from South Florida. Yeah. That's so good to know for me. He, he <laughs> was at Baptist Hospital, which is where I was born, and Mercy Hospital. Oh, so it was wow. crazy. I had a surgery where I was born... I'm a twin, so I, wow. me and my twin sister are in this hospital where we were born, and I'm having this life-saving oh, wow. surgery. Wow. It was, it was, there was so much cosmic stuff going yeah. on with my yeah. whole journey, too. It's a cosmic... It was crazy, because I had crazy. these stomach problems, and I was in Florida visiting my parents for a week, and that turned into this three-year thing, but I had another stomach thing the night before I was supposed to go back to New York and see all my doctors to figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like the, the universe was like, you're staying in Florida. And With your family. I saw some like, well, family, but also a friend of the family had just finished five years of herbs and acupuncture study, Chinese herbs and acupuncture study. So he... Did that in, help? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He introduced mm-hmm. me to his teacher. So she, did all, she oversaw my herbs, uh, my Chinese herbs, and she did certain acupuncture treatments. And he... Gave me free acupuncture every day during chemo, which I would not have been able wow. to afford. And I was able to sleep during some of those. Like I slept two hours a day basically during chemo. Okay, guys. So we want to tell you about one of our sponsors that are just our favorite. I really love this sponsor because they are sustainable, giving back to the earth, but also super fashionable, which are two things that I really hold deeply in my heart. Rothy's, so, Rothy's, Rothy's. Rothy's, Rothy's, Rothy's. Thank There's you, Ashley, <laughs> for that energized intro. Um. So if you guys haven't heard of, of Rothy's, this company is basically making stylish shoes for women and girls out of recycled plastic water bottles. And get this, they are insanely comfortable and machine washable. Rothy's is one of those sponsors that I just talk up and I think it works because you because they keep calling us back to do more ads on this podcast, but that's because I love them and I think the energy that I put out there um, <laughs> really makes it, you yeah. guys pick up on it and then you buy them and you're like, oh crap, these are truly the most stylish, most comfortable um flats you can wear they're the flats that like your friends want to steal out of your closet they don't cut your foot and that's what makes them super unique to me because i can't no blisters no blisters and like no other flat i've ever found doesn't give me blisters and they also come in new styles and colors and prints every like every so often so you have to keep checking back and you're going to find more and more and you're going to have a whole full freaking closet of Rothy's. Right. Because 
they're just everyday flats on the go. And let's be real, guys. Fall's coming up. You know, I can't be wearing flip-flops all the time now. They go with almost all my outfits. Mm-hmm. It'll blow your mind that they're made from recycled water bottles. Also, it comes with free shipping and free returns exchanges. No risk, no worries. No they're reason not to try it. machine washable, too. So, like, it's quick. To, you'll get your your shoes looking fresh and new. Would throw them in. Can't do that with other shoes. 45 minutes. So guys, check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash get it. Again, go to rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash get it to get your new favorite flats, comfort, style, sustainability. These are the shoes that you've been waiting for. Again, head to rothys.com slash get it today. I like that you take holistic approaches too. Yeah, everything and the kitchen sink. I threw at it like laugh therapy, yoga, meditation. That's so funny. I worked with a medical intuitive, which is one of my favorite things that I've ever done. What's a medical intuitive? Yeah, what is that? This is going to sound really new agey, guys. It's okay. <laughs> is it like a Reiki healing, but no, like for a doctor? You may have heard, you've heard of probably... Wait, is that the guy that was on the Kardashians that goes like this around your face and he's like, you have a stomach issue? Oh, Lordy, no. I can't. Oh, okay. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I'll give you the very hippie, trippy, dippy description, which is it's a medical intuitive, someone who works, is connected to a school of spirits and they help determine what is happening for you spiritually and energetically that's manifesting in this particular physical way. Okay. Mm. So the first thing you do, like I, a friend of mine worked with this particular medical intuitive in Montana. And uh, so she gave me her phone number and said, "What? Yeah, this is right at the beginning when I wasn't sure, should I have surgery? Because they thought I had fibroids and they said, you have to have surgery. And I had never had major surgery before. Mm-hmm. So I was freaking out. And she said, well, call Carolyn and uh, see what she says. And you, the language is, you leave the voicemail. Is it in my highest good to have surgery? And you leave that on the voicemail. And if she calls you back, you're meant to work together. And if she doesn't, you're not. And it's nothing personal. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And she called me back within 15 minutes. And wow. we started talking. And then the first thing she talks about is, okay, we have to identify your core issue, your core spiritual issue that's manifesting this particular way. Without knowing it's cancer yet. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's but that's your... the first that's the first thing you embark on doing, and wow. it either comes quickly or not. So it's interesting yeah. that you chose to even do that, thinking it was just fibroids. Yeah. Well, because I didn't know, and yeah. so it was more about I've never had surgery, and I was just scared. You didn't want to get surgery. Wait. So would you share with us what? that was the my core issue yeah, yeah. my core issue um the the main core issue was around my femininity because i'm a tomboy as you probably t- well you guys can't see me but <laughs> i'm a tomboy and i also used to wear all black baggy men's clothes i was kind of hiding in a little bit not in a little bit i was hiding and i had hiding long, your tomboyish or hiding, no, hiding your femininity? me yeah hiding being oh. invisible i grew up around some violence and other things so there was just from that dynamic of i'm going to be invisible i'm going to kick ass but i'm going to be invisible and my long hair was sort of like a shield you know and baggy clothes is sort of That's like hiding so interesting so embracing my femininity like i hated the color pink Ugh, like all black no everything dark you know and wow. but not in a goth way but just you know just yeah. That was my thing, and and also tomboy. Like, let me play f- football and soccer, and you know, and I'm a nerd. So anyway, there was a lot of reasons I was trying. It's to like interesting. Was that. it more like let me do these things to fit in in a way? What like those things? You felt like you were hiding behind those things to fit in. No, I was just. Th- those are the things I like doing. That you like those doing, were not the yeah. things that were socially acceptable for a girl to be doing. Got it. So you know, I got teased and tormented my entire life wow. for everything from academics to not having the right clothes and definitely not the right brands. And I didn't 
wear dresses and carry a purse. And I just didn't do any of that. I didn't want to. Then your body attacked the one most feminine part of you. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it seems like it's obvious, but it, it wasn't obvious to me until she said it. And I was like, okay. So embracing my femininity, uh, learning to love, you know, girly, kind of quote, girly colors and stuff. So that, <laughs> that was one of the first things that the medical intuitive said, actually, is uh, Carolyn. She said, okay, well, so you need to not wear black. And then I was like, ah, I'll be naked. <laughs> I don't have anything. Wow. She said, well, just start with one item at a time. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And my sister is on the other end of the spectrum with colors. She's like the, we were much more extreme as far as we're twins and uh, extrovert, introvert. And we've over the years come, Kate <laughs> moved closer together. Like we're both have both, but she, um, she wore lots of loud colors, got different haircuts. You know, she just was the opposite of me in mm. that regard. Mm. And she had this uh, floor length, like big, full length um, red leather, vintage leather jacket. Cool. That was such a, oh, that's an Elisa thing. Mm-hmm. And she gave it to me. So like I have this picture Aww. on my parents, in my parents' house Aww. in the stairs wearing my all black stuff, but with this vintage, very fitted, tailored red leather coat. Yeah. I was wow. like, all right, I'll get started. And then she, she was so excited because she wants, she loves like shopping for me and, and right. making me buy things for myself, which I don't like wow. to do. So just buying <laughs> body conscious clothing, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff where em- embracing my feminine form, but also like, you know, the badassness of being a woman yeah. doesn't have to be covered up. Right. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be shapeless, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And uh, so that was sort of part of the part of my journey around ovarian cancer had to do with my emotional connection to my femininity. Very interesting. Um, I have been wondering, as you've been talking about um, you trying to save part of your ovary so that you wouldn't go into menopause. Yeah. Are you able to take eggs from an ovary that has? A, a cancerous cyst on it and freeze them? Not That's advisable. A great question. It's, it's, it's not, not advisable because I, I, I actually met with a fertility doctor before I ended up, he's the one who referred me to the oncologist because uh-huh. mm. the first gynecologist was the first opinion. Then the second opinion was this other guy who was a fertility doctor. And I was really excited about that because it was kind of out of the box thinking. It wasn't just, you know, oh, go see another gynecologist. He right. was like, no, we see a fertility guy because if there's something or a gal, if there's something going mm-hmm. on with your reproductive system, they know how to do surgeries laparoscopically, and their whole thing. I call it the NYPD of the reproductives. They preserve and protect the re- reproductive organs. Aww. So he sent me to see that person, and that doctor ended up sending me to the oncologist. But mm-hmm. his thing was, um, if you because um, you have to stimulate the ovary to harvest the eggs and it's like over several months. If you already know that potentially you're you have right. cancer, you're going to be stimulating those cells. Right, and that's not good for you. They did save my... I, have, I was saving my ovarian tissue that they removed for okay. many years. Um, but the thing is, he said his logic with that was in five, ten years, they might have the technology to harvest eggs without having to put that tissue back in your body. Wow. So save it and see what happens. And if you decide you want to have kids and do that, you can, you'll have that tissue available. But... The, the technology doesn't, exi- doesn't exist, and because okay. it came back twice after the first time, they were like, it's very likely that that tissue has cancerous cells in it, so it's not advisable wow. to Overstep integrate it, it and back into your body and try to get eggs from it. Where so, was that tissue? Like, were you just... In a, in a lab? In a lab. In a frozen, free, you know, where you keep frozen embryos yeah, and frozen eggs. that's interesting. Ovarian tissue, and I... I actually, my, the comfort I was given by my twin sister who said, well, I have genetically identical eggs. 
So it's you kind know, of like, if you need some of my eggs, yeah. if you really want to cool. do that, that's we can do cool. that. God, that that's is cool. so amazing. Yeah. So I was going to say, like, if you take it one step further and you do freeze the tissue and the tissue still has, like, egg capabilities, um, are you able to get a surrogate? Yeah, you could. Okay. I mean, I also still have my uterus, so I still have yeah. the oven. You I could can still bake the bread. It. Yeah, I just yeah. need the, <laughs> bake the bread. I need the ingredients from other places to put in there if I wanted yeah. to do that. You okay. mentioned that, so you are a three-time ovarian cancer survivor. Yeah, and you actually have been in touch with our next guest, which is mm-hmm. Carrie, mm-hmm. who we're going to call in a second, who is also battling it currently for the third time. Yes. How did you here. meet Carrie? We were both at a fundraising event that actually was uh, for breast cancer, but I, because I have an organization called Bald is Beautiful. That's my movement. Yes, I was going to say, tell us about that. Yeah, I, um, I started that because when I lost my hair, I had really long, mm-hmm. remember the long mm-hmm. hair and the shield? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, losing my hair, I just thought, I don't know who I am without my hair. It was such a central part of my identity. Yeah. And, and also socially considered a central part of femininity. Right. Yeah. So who am I without my hair? Am I still pretty? I don't know. And then I just embraced, I found all these different ways to, to see myself. Losing my hair helped me see myself actually more clearly. It's crazy. And then I embraced it. And then I met so many women who had a harder time with that part of the process that mm-hmm. then having cancer. And I just thought, okay, that's fucked up. I want to do something about mm-hmm. it. Um, and I, I know so many women, like yeah. they get diagnosed and they're like, I'm going to lose my hair. That's like their first thought. Yeah. The first thought, that was my second. The first mm-hmm. was like, oh, fuck, I don't want to die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. shit, I'm going to lose my hair. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's one or two or, mm-hmm. or one and one, whatever. It's right up there. It's interesting know? as women how we, we really feel like our hair is our identity. And we, because of society, we identify yeah. with being a female through our hair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and look at the commercials on TV, the yeah. shampoo ads with the mm-hmm. yeah. hair flowing in the wind and all that. So it's, it's really everything out there tells you what you uh, lack in, mm. in terms of your beauty or what you need in order to f- fulfill that idea. So... I just wanted to do something using that visual media to to put something out there that's... I'm not going to get rid of the old stereotypes, but at least I can expand the envelope and people can see a bald woman in a beauty context or on a TV show just being a normal yeah. person, not necessarily portraying cancer patients, just a science tech in a lab or a, yeah. Yeah. Or a lawyer, frankly. Inclusivity, anyone. yeah, anything. Yeah, representation, as you guys know, is, is, it's a huge thing and it, it really can change how people perceive each other and themselves. Mm-hmm. So I just like, okay, when I'm, doing, when I'm done with the cancer thing, I want to do Bald is Beautiful and I hadn't actually before or modeled or done any of that. So, oh, really? Wow. No. So you have an act. You didn't. You were never an actor. No, my sister was doing all that. So that's what I mean. Like opposite end of the spectrum. That's so now incredible. we're doing the same. So what wow. were you doing? I used to work in the music business. I did marketing for. I was in the jazz world. Ooh. I worked at Verve Records and Blue Note Records wow. in, in New York City. Oh my god! Yeah. I love um, so, Smalls Jazz Club in Greenwich. Oh yeah, that's so good. Yeah. We have to talk more about yeah, jazz yeah. after well, this. Well, have you been to Mesro? No, Spike Wilner, who's co-owner, he has his own place also now. Wow, which is phenomenal. Okay, so, yeah. we'll talk more jazz <laughs> after this. So before yeah. we get to Carrie, who yeah. you met at at one of the the events, it was a, it was an eighties pink prom. It was like I dressed oh. up in eighties. That's incredible. Clothing, and it was for, it was Fran Drescher. Uh, oh, yeah, because <gasps> Fran. Was Fran had cancer? Oh, cancer. No, she had, she had breast cancer? Uh, oh, my gosh. What, what did I she forget? Uterine. 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 Okay. I knew it was a female. Yeah. But she was uh, one of the hosts and for her, her cancer schmancer. Cancer schmancer. Yeah, she's right. my cause. fucking idol. She's awesome. She's so... I got to meet her, which I... Oh, <laughs> it I was died. so amazing. Wait, I want to know more really quick before we call Kara. Yeah. What were you going to ask? No, I want to just talk about like where you're at right now. Because um, you were first diagnosed when you were 28. 28. And yes. you've had three 
different times it's come back. Yes. And you've been in remission now for how long? Like 16 and a half years now. 16 and oh a half gosh. years now. Congratulations. Yeah. That's but you've kept, your ball, you've, kept, you've kept the hair short. Yes, because when I started Bald is Beautiful, I, at first I said, okay, I will do it for a year and see if it has yeah. any traction and see if it works and then I'll let my hair go back. And then as the year was going on, it was, you know, I was getting little hits here and there and finding things mm-hmm. you know, that, to connect. And so I was like, okay, I'll wait till my five-year cancer-free anniversary and then decide if I'm going to grow my hair back. Yeah. But by then, it was just like, it was, it was on. So I was just like, all right, well, we'll see if I ever grow my hair back You're or not. such That's a fucking so cool. badass, That's like really choosing cool. to not grow it yeah. back because it you have the, you've created this platform. And it is true. Like People want to see themselves in movies and TV and feel included and feel seen. Yeah. And I had never even really thought about that until you brought up all yeah. those beautiful. Well, like, and that's the thing It's too. like, I think of Black Panther. I'm like, that's, I think the yeah. first time I saw like well, a beautiful bald woman in yeah. a movie There's so that many wasn't a robot. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Or not some ghoulish whatever. Cause you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Like in a beautiful way. Yeah. Yeah. Bold and strong. Right. And, and that's the funny thing is that's how people see it. See, I never wore hats or scarves or wigs. And when I would walk around with my smooth head, you know, people would always, you know, oh my God, I've always wanted to shave my head or they want to touch my head to get free head massages, you know. <laughs> um, but it's not the stigma. People admire it. They, they really, you could see your eyes, you could really see you. And if you're wearing it, they, they read a certain confidence. I think whether or not you have hair, if what you feel inside about yourself is what people read from you. Mm-hmm. And if you're walking confidently without your hair, people are not going to be like, oh, you know, yeah, why right. would they, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I also get a lot of, I had your, the code language of I'm a cancer survivor also is I used to have your haircut. And yeah. then there's a whole beautiful share and communion, communion wow. with a total stranger randomly all the time, yeah. Yeah. which is beautiful because it makes people stop and look and, and also look at themselves. And it brings up also a lot of yeah. fear for people, you know? So it's, it's been interesting because before I even started Bald is Beautiful, I was you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna do this shame thing. I'm mm-hmm. going to walk proudly. And but even if you wear a hat or a scarf or a wig, it's about the feeling underneath it. Yeah. Like if you ha- wear a hat or a scarf, have fun with it. Be playful. Have a sense of adventure. You're trying on a new look. Yeah. Because the shame you can't cover up because that's inside. Mm-hmm. So th- that's my main thing. Even with bald is beautiful, is not to say don't cover up. It's if you're right. if you're putting something on your head, put it. Put it on there with a sense of play, do not with proudly. a sense of shame. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How much do you admire Samantha and Sex in the City? I feel like oh my god, well, you love. Oh my god, did you guys not see that episode? I mean that that <laughs> episode when she takes off the wig. I cast. Yeah. I help them. Those women and myself. I'm in that scene, and I <gasps> no yeah, watch more closely. Way. I literally just said how much you love that scene. She was in that scene. I was in. That. I'm dead. Wait, so you've been acting for a while? That then. was. I got that. I booked that the first year I started. Bald is beautiful. That was my. First High five! You're Too such cool. a fucking badass. Technically, it was my second one. I was in the other not episode. for Sex and the City. For no, I was in Sex and the done. City, but a different episode. Yeah. First Nikos first episode when the no, I was saying you're not a badass just because you did that. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But they they wanted real cancer patients in the scene. So after wow. I'd done my first Sex and the City appearance, it was a featured thing, little moment. But I had to, I told the showrunner I have an idea for a story and I would love to mm-hmm. share it with you. And he said, "Stay in touch. I can't take your story idea. We don't do that. But you know, we're yeah. gonna we're going to address the issue of cancer. I can't say how or why. Just mm-hmm. stay in touch. And yeah. and we did. And then they called me to cast the scene, and I brought those women." Uh, you know, who all were survivors. Some of them had alopecia also. Mm-hmm. Um, they deal with a similar issue, even though it's not life and death circumstances. Right. But mm-hmm. um, 
And so alopecia is just the loss of hair. Loss, it's an autoimmune disease, yeah, mm-hmm. and they, it deals with quickly dividing cells, which that's why you lose the hair because hair mm-hmm. is the fastest dividing cells in the body. Mm-hmm. That's why the hair goes. So do people with alopecia also come to Bald is Beautiful? It's just not just for cancer survivors. Do they what? Also, like, attend Bald is Beautiful events? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. have... Oh. Bald is Beautiful is just me it's at more this like point. It's like a mantra. Oh, it's, I, it's okay. a movement. Well, you said you had a prom. I'm sorry. No, so that, that was, was a different I attended, prom. which is where Got I met it. Carrie. Okay. Yes, Apologies. I haven't, I haven't had... No, that's okay. <laughs> oh, I literally was just going to say, I want to come to the next one. I'm a, I've done things like a chemo buddy. Yeah. Or I've, I've gone with someone who, like who's going to you know who's gonna lose their hair and yeah. go and shave their head yeah. and you know make it a fun event. Yeah. Like my haircut and head shaving parties right. that I had for myself. Yeah. I wonder um, if we could do a support group like that. They, yeah, you yeah. could or, or they, they up, exist. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. you know, the That's chemo awesome. buddy thing was something like, you know, it's just you go and yeah. sit with someone while they're going through treatment totally. if they don't have someone to either get them there or stay with them, right. you know, that kind of right. thing. Right. But yeah, it's a, so it's a huge opportunity just to, 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 to be part of the community and not feel alone, even though it's a very solo experience. Yeah. Um, but walking around without hair, you, you meet a lot of people. A yeah. lot of people want to talk, yeah, yeah. which is that. great, you know. Well, and then look, I get to talk about it, yeah. You know, it's basically in Naz and my job description to have white teeth, um, but I think it's kind of like just something that everyone strives to have because whether it's a job interview or dating profile, your smile can help make the best first impression. And if your smile isn't as vibrant as you'd like it to be, ARC can help you feel more confident. ARC is a new way to achieve professional level teeth whitening at home in just 30 minutes a day. Each ARC treatment includes a dentist approved enamel safe whitening strips that adhere to your upper and lower teeth along with ARC's blue blue light technology. So I emphasize dentist approved because a lot of dentists are quite picky about which whitening treatments they feel is okay. So know that your dentist is okay with you using ARC. The blue light mouthpiece that ARC has will fit around your entire smile. It is going to deliver targeted blue light energy that helps weaken set-in stains below the enamel surface. And it's going to make your treatment more effective than the strips just alone. ARC can help you reveal a smile that is get this, 50 times whiter than the leading whitening toothpaste. And they offer a satisfaction guarantee. And to help our listeners get a whiter, brighter smile, ARC is offering $15 off your purchase of a blue light kit when you visit arcsmile.com and use the promo code GETIT at checkout. Go to arcsmile.com and use the promo code GETIT for $15 off your blue light whitening kit. It's arcsmile.com, promo code GETIT. It's so easy, and you're going to feel fabulous when your teeth are so much whiter. Guaranteed. Before we get Carrie on the phone, um, yeah. since she still has ovarian cancer, I want to talk about the stats and how honestly awful they are. You are more educated than I am. They are terrible. That, that's one of the first things I learned when I, because I'm a nerd, so I did all my research. Oh, I have ovarian cancer. Let me look into what that is. Yeah. And there's no, not a ton smart. of information, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what there is isn't good because the survival rate is 30%. 
Wow. <laughs> with a 70%, approximately 70% recurrence rate, which right. is why I had which it Which is so what my times. friend also, her, yeah. her mom. Why is that? Because it's, it's, because there's no early detection. This is why right. we were talking about early detection. Research. Because and... there's no early detection mm-hmm. test, it's usually most often in about 80% of the cases to diagnose late stage. Mm-hmm. So that's why the, the survival rate is so low. And right. it, I'll tell you the converse. So you, this is what will blow your mind. If it's discovered early, the survival rate goes up to 90%. Whoa. So everyone listening, when you are donating to any other foundation, maybe breast cancer next month, maybe also donate to ovarian cancer research. Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance is one of my favorite organizations, that and Gilda's Club. Do you know their website? OCRF. Or is it OCRF.org or OCRA.org? I think if you type in OCRF.org, it'll, because they changed their name, but it'll go to the same. Yeah. 90% when caught diagnosis, which is always caught early by accident or by luck, usually. Right. So I was going to say, how can, there's not like mammograms. So what do you do? Like, how do you try to spot the signs? What do you tell your doctor? Like, how do we, I feel like we need something like a pap smear that we do like every year, but that's what, I mean, they're working on some things in the genetics area. (laughs) Gergi. They're working on something around the area. Hold on one sec. 3601. Go ahead. They're, um... They're working in, in the areas of genetics to develop tests, and they are, I think I also just read something, an article about something in London that they developed a test that tests t- different proteins, because the CA125 is basically, the tests around blood have to do with basically a protein that is released into the bloodstream when certain things are happening. With the CA125, it detects anything abnormal in the abdominal cavity, so that's why it's not diagnostic okay. mm-hmm. uh, for, for ovarian cancer in, in particular. But... There's a couple of new blood tests that are being developed and researched, but nothing. And the, and I also want to caution people with the with the genetic thing. If you test positive for the BRCA one and two, yeah. I wouldn't run out and get a double mastectomy and cut out your ovaries either, uh, because again, that's not a diagnostic test. What's more important in conjunction with that is family history. If you have a really strong family history yeah. and you test positive for the BRCA one and two uh, mm-hmm. mutation, mm-hmm. maybe think about it. Mm-hmm. But right. It's not so. There's no tests that tell you that you're going to have it yet. Right. So that's the, that's the main thing. But so those are the stats with early detection, and that's why it's so oh. hard. So we just basically have to rely on science right now. On some level, like a, yeah. a, a woman that I met who, of course, passed away, which is why we were so happy. Carrie and I were so happy to meet each other because everyone I meet who has ovarian cancer, eventually I lose them. Oh. Um, she sorry. said her yeah her mantra with her doctors was prove to me I don't have ovarian cancer. Wow. And that's if you have a strong if you have any family history and you have a strong suspicion like you have these symptoms that are just not going away, nothing is is changing them or nothing is alleviating the symptoms like the ones we discussed free written urination, bloating, uh pain during sex, um also irregular period like I had or I did in hindsight I had a lot of symptoms but again wow just thought it was regular gynecological stuff. Um, so you yeah. look at those symptoms and if they are persistent and getting worse and not going away no matter what you do, it's time to ask that question, prove, me, prove to me I don't right. have it. And still, unfortunately, it's going to be a surgical intervention to see but or maybe a CAT scan or maybe yeah. a, something, but it's going, once you start going in that direction, it, it might end up there, but at least you're not just being dismissed as, oh, you have, you know, you're eating too much lemon, you know, <laughs> I, whatever, yeah. I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the challenge is everybody talks about awareness and like early detection and all this stuff. And I say, yeah, great guys. Um, 
give us a test, exactly. yeah. develop a test for yeah. us, and we yeah. will get it done every month if we have to. Wow. You know? Right. Thank you so, so much for that wealth of knowledge yeah. on it. Thank you. And Carrie is also a wealth of knowledge. She has, and she's been going through it more recently than me, so she might mm-hmm. even have more information about the, the most current stuff going okay. on. So Let's call yeah. Carrie and find yeah. out. Yeah. All right, guys, we have Carrie on the line. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Um, so, Carrie, we want to talk. We want you to describe what you're going through now. You're stage four ovarian cancer, and it's come back um, a couple times now. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you were diagnosed and how you're feeling today? Sure. I was diagnosed in February of 2015. Um, they found an 18 and a half centimeter tumor attached to my right ovary, and I pretty quickly had surgery to remove the um, problem. Plus they took a lot of other organs out at the same time. And then it followed with chemotherapy. Um, Six months later, they said the cancer was gone and I was so excited. But sadly, as with most women who have ovarian cancer, um, it came back. So I had to fight it off again in 2016. Um, And then it stayed away for just about another seven months the second time, and then it returned. And I was able to delay treatment for a while um, by taking some new medication that had just become available. Um, but now I'm back in chemotherapy again. So I've been doing chemotherapy this time since May. So why? what kind of medication to, to prevent you from having to jump on surgery? Group so chemo. The, when they did an analysis of the last tumor, it had some positive estrogen receptors. So I was able to take one of the new breast cancer drugs. Um, even though I don't have breast cancer, it interacted with the estrogen receptors in my tumors. Um, and that allowed me to wait a while in order to get chemotherapy. It held off um, on the tumors growing. Then okay. when they started to grow some more, then it was back to chemotherapy. Okay, got it. So, um, Carrie, were you on carboplatin and taxol? Is that your chemo cocktail? Um, that was one of my uh, chemotherapy cocktails. At present, I'm on a Braxane and um, a Vastin. How old are you? And and Sharon, you're you're 47. Mm-hmm. Um, when you had it, you were in your late 20s, early 30s, right? 28. You were 28. Until when was it gone? 2003 so three years later okay after three times okay and then and then carrie how old are you i was diagnosed when i was 36 and i'm just about to turn 41 in two weeks so what is the average age range is there or is basically all women at risk uh if you look at the current literature it says the average age for someone with ovarian cancer i believe is 61 it used to be right. 63 i thought it was older i thought wow. it was an older that that's what the misconception was that you didn't really have to worry about until you got older and then all these women started getting it when they were younger that, because they would never think that those symptoms would mean right yeah. so, so just, i'm too young for this shit feeling mm-hmm. wow right. so just 4 years ago the average age was 63 and now it's 61 so there's been a significant number of people diagnosed at a younger age that's driven that number down. Why do we think that is? Environmental things? Um, I, I have no idea. I have all sorts of guesses. Um, the other thing I would interject is that because 
ovarian cancer is not necessarily detected, but it might if it spreads somewhere else, the f- you might get cancer detected somewhere else, oh. but they don't know that the origin right. cancer is ovarian. So it's not diagnosed as ovarian cancer, it's diagnosed as the other thing. So that adds to the confusion about diagnosing younger people with it. Does ovarian frequently spread to other areas? Within, yes. Oh, yes, yes. Absolutely, yeah. Quickly. It, it's why the majority of people who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer are stage three or four is because it spreads so quickly. What well, are, go sorry, ahead, um, Carrie, what are some, now that you're, you know, on this journey, what are some common misconceptions that maybe you can share with us and our listeners about ovarian cancer? Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that ovarian cancer is one that's um, always deadly. The the statistics are terrible. I'll give you that. Um, But when I was first diagnosed, everyone I talked to said, we don't, we don't know anyone who survived. It it was always a, a, it, it's basically that ovarian cancer was a death sentence. What a thing to hear. Yeah. My own oncologist told me that the, the likelihood of me surviving to year five was 15%. <gasps> and you are in year five. I just crossed four and a half. So um, in February, it'll be five years. But I, I kept saying, someone's got to make up that 15%. It's yeah. going to be... <laughs> So, it's true. It has to be someone, right? It has to be someone. But it, my oncologist was the only one that gave me any hope to make it. Everyone else I talked to was like, well, my grandmother died of this. My aunt died of that. I, and nobody had a survival story that I heard. No one. Which is also why it was so nice to meet Carrie because both of us had the same response. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't believe I'm meeting someone who's surviving this thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Carrie, how are you feeling now? You guys are badass. In stage four. Is there any like signs of, um, are you re- being responsive to the treatment? Um, it looks like I'm being responsive to the latest chemotherapy. I became allergic to the regimen they had me on about two months ago, so they just switched me. Um, and and it looks like things are going to go positively. I should be done with chemotherapy around Thanksgiving is the current plan. Um, so I plan on celebrating the end of it with pumpkin pie. Yes. Oh, that sounds so good. Like, why don't we just eat it all year? I'm so confused. <laughs> like, why is Stuffing it? Is too. it just not in season? There's our why? I don't get it for, well, there's a couple I don't get it in this podcast, but there's a, a fun one for you. Why don't we why eat don't we Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving food, food all, year all the time? I mean, I mean, I guess we have barbecue. It makes no sense. Um, Carrie, is there something that... We just spoke to Sharon before we had you on the phone and she kind of shared with us something that maybe she learned about herself on like this journey. Is there something that you've been taking, you know, you've learned about yourself through all of this? I've learned so much about myself. It's almost like I feel like I'm a brand new person in a lot of ways. I've learned that I'm stronger than I thought I was. I've learned that I can accomplish anything with a positive attitude um it really for me is mind over matter a lot of the time how um was your are you married are you in a relationship i'm married do you have kids no sadly no did you want to have kids before desperately desperately so i got married seven months before i was diagnosed with cancer 
Um, and my husband and I decided we were going to wait until we'd been married for a year before trying to have a family. So in some ways, I'm thankful we hadn't tried to have a family um, because I can't imagine being pregnant and getting cancer um, and trying to balance uh, treatment and a child. Um, so in some ways, I feel like I'm very lucky that we chose to wait. Um, but I'm also sad that I'll never get to have children. How has that affected so, your relationship? The whole the um, whole cancer experience. It, amazingly, I think it's made my relationship so much stronger than I could I could have ever imagined. I, I feel like um, I really put him to the test with the in sickness and in health part of the vows, um, and I feel like he's shown me that he's going to stick by me and take care of me. Mm. Um, I won't go into the gory details of some of the things he did for me after surgery. Um, but some of the nastiest, grossest tasks, um, he helped me with. And that was, I knew then I had a partner for life I could depend on. Uh, we've had to really focus on our relationship and try to figure out how things are going to be different going forward. We were really focused on having a family and, now that we can't have a family, it was, okay, what do we do next? Mm-hmm. Um, so we focused on traveling and we travel. We, it, it's all about seeing the world. That's incredible. Carrie, do you, through the chemo treatments, we were speaking to Sharon about um, her sort of bald is beautiful mantra. Do you have, do you currently have all your hair or have you lost a lot of your hair? Um, so the chemotherapy that I started taking, um, earlier this year did make me lose my hair. Um, however, I became allergic to the drug that caused me to lose my hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they switched me to a new medication. And so my hair is growing back in. Oh. Um, what were you... Oh, sorry. It, it's really thin, but it, it's kind of spiky and fun. Oh, well, look at you looking at the positive <laughs> side hair, of that. All <laughs> hair is fun. Um, <laughs> uh, you are a person, you are a spokesperson for the American Cancer Society. Tell I us am. what you do for them. Um, I visit different uh, events around uh, theoretically any location, but in reality, Southern California, um, to talk to people about the importance of raising money um, for the American Cancer Society. I myself was a benefit of several different programs that they offer. Um, Not only was I able to get chemotherapy education classes, which really helped me and my husband understand what I was going to go through and what it was going to be like and how to prepare ourselves for it. But I was also able to stay at a Hope Lodge. So when I first got... What's a Hope Lodge? Like a Ronald McDonald house? It's very, very similar. Um, There are places for cancer patients and their caregivers to stay when the most effective um, treatment is at a place that's far away from their house. When I first got diagnosed, I couldn't get into any local doctors in Southern California um, for at least two and a half weeks. And with an 18 and a half centimeter tumor, I didn't want to wait. What What? in the world? Uh What in the world? That doesn't make any sense. Why would they be taking any patients that weren't like, wait, I'm just mind boggled. Explain. Yes. So I, I called and I said, I had this scan that showed an 18 and a half centimeter tumor. I really want to get in to see, name the doctor. And the earliest appointment I could get was two and a half weeks out in Southern California. I tried um, UCLA, City of Hope, Cedar sinai um, UC Irvine, 
and I just couldn't get in. So um, the day after my scan, about four hours after I started making phone calls um, in this local area, I said, too bad about this. I'm getting in the car. And we drove to the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. Wow. So, so is this a common thing for people to have to do? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that it is. I think I'm, I'm in a unique situation where my insurance allows me to go anywhere. Um, I have a family history. My sister has some heart issues um, and had been seen by doctors at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. Um, so I knew, I knew it was a good place to go. I knew doctors were readily accessible. I was able to get an appointment there four days later. I drove there, um, uh, the day after my scan. And by the time I got there, I was already in pain before I left that my house. But when I got there, the pain was worse. So I went to the ER at the Mayo Clinic and they said, you can't wait till Friday. You'll be seen tomorrow morning. Wow. So... Seven days after I had my scan, I had my surgery to remove what I call all the component parts of my abdominal cavity. Wow. So I, I was very aggressive. Um, some people wait. I chose not to. Um, for me, it literally saved my life. Uh, my oncologist surgeon said at the rate the tumor had grown between the time of the scan and the time of the surgery seven days later, if she forecasted that growth out two and a half weeks, it would have pressed up against my cardiac cavity and I would have been dead. No Oh my way. God. It's Sharon, so, you so, also share, your tumor grew the size of a grapefruit. Yeah. Right? I had, I had, a, also in a really fast amount of time. Yeah, I'd had a normal gynecological exam. Just, just like we were talking, there's no test, but the manual exam, like he felt my ovaries and there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. And two and, months later. Well, August to end of October. So yeah, two or three months later, I have a grapefruit-sized tumor. Freaking wow. crazy. Like I wonder what biologically happens that makes it grow so fast. I'm not, you know what, the, my gynecologist also, and the oncologist said... Because there's no way to know when it started, right. we don't. We you can't could, find I out. I could have had it for ten years, right? And it was just super slow until something who knows what triggered it to get it exponentially to get big, more That's aggressive. Crazy. Yeah, so wow. it's still. I don't know about your situation, Carrie, but Carrie, my dad is a doctor, and um, he makes me pay an extreme amount of money each month for my <laughs> insurance, so that I can go anywhere in the country to get treatment wherever the best treatment is, and. You just made me thankful that I spend that much. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm very grateful that I work for a company that has such good medical coverage. Yeah, that's really lucky. I have no medical coverage. Well, I'm going to die. It, it brings up the issue of how how messed up the healthcare, yeah. which has nothing to do with we health or care in this country. We could do a whole podcast yes. on healthcare in yeah. America. The next um, sponsor that we want to talk about, that's a sponsor that's been very loyal to our podcast, and I've been very loyal to them. I had a photo shoot with them yesterday. It is FabFitFun. Um, the box that I did a little promo for yesterday, you guys are going to be mind-boggled by it. But right now, the fall box is, the fall still, box is, is so still available good. to get. Um, the fall box, oh, what was There's that Have cute you worn scarf. The scarf? Yeah. Not, I was just going to bring up the scarf. I'm obsessed with the scarf, and it came with a travel yoga mat. Yeah. that I can't even tell you say because you know how, how I use ClassPass mm-hmm. so I never have to rent yoga mats now because I have my own and it's easily transportable it's so cute and then there was that frosty eye, um, eye sticks that I got and it came with an yes. eyebrow pencil an eyeliner and two um, creamy 
eyeshadow sticks. Mm-hmm. They're super amazing. Um, there's something new in the FabFitFun box that you will discover each season and you will realize it's a product that you're going to want to incorporate in your beauty routine, your fitness routine, lifestyle, anything like that. In for basically anything. like forever, you know, it's like, you find products that you're going to continue to buy. Right. And what I love about it is that it's not like, you know, the cheap little fun sizes. It's like actual regular size items. And it's just a great way, like Ashley was saying, to try out new stuff. Because who has the money to like, you know, walk into a beauty store and buy everything? This is such a fun way to get a box sent to your house with a bunch of amazing goodies in it. Like... I can't even tell you guys. I use almost everything that Me comes too. in the box. Me it's too. not like, oh, there's one or two things that are good and the rest I'll re-gift. I keep everything. Yeah, same. <laughs> and I'm starting to have to having to buy like storage just because I, I don't want to <laughs> give it away. We all your closet. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that uh, the items are now customizable. So you can go on their website and pick out like the ones you want from each category, so which genius. is pretty cool. Yeah. And like that says, they're not sample sizes. And the box that, and, and, and because of that, the box usually is worth, it's always worth over $200, but sometimes worth even oftentimes worth way over $200. Yeah, and it retails for $49.99. Yeah, but if you use our code, which is get it, um, at fabfitfun.com, you will be able to get your box for only $39.99. Uh, you're going to get $10 off. It retails for $49.99, and it always has a value of over $200. But with our coupon code, get it, you'll get $10 off your first box at fabfitfun.com. Again, fabfitfun, a seasonal subscription box, full-size fitness, beauty, fashion, and lifestyle products, and you are going you're going to, nobody has bought FabFitFun from and me, regretted it. like from the podcast or Instagram and been like, oh, I didn't love it. No, everybody's like, that was a really good recommendation. No, so thank it's you. It's the best thing ever. Um, all right. So Carrie, I want to talk about what your symptoms were since this is all about yeah. raising awareness this month. What Absolutely. kind of symptoms were you experiencing that other women should be watching out for? So you're going to love this. Um, I was having pain in my abdomen. I was having a hard time standing up and sitting down without feeling like my stomach was just in pain. Um, So I kept going to the doctor saying something is wrong. I can't like twist. I can't turn my body. Anytime I turn my torso, it's just excruciating pain. Like like something's pulling on you or like a cramp? It it was just uh, like stabbing pain. Wow. And so I went to the doctor. Now, I have this great insurance, but I was working during the day. So I went to the after hours. Um, My doctor's office has like an after hours clinic you can go to. And the after hours doctor said, oh, you're just partially constipated. And I said, and I said, I've been going to the bathroom normally. And he goes, well, it's partial constipation. No. So he gave me a very, very expensive constipation medication. And I took it for two days, no change anywhere, no change in my bowel habits, no change in how I was feeling. So I went back and I said, eh, I don't think that's it. I'm in a lot of pain still. It's not any different. And he goes, oh, well, I'm sure it's partial constipation. We just didn't give you the right medication. And so he switched medications to something else. And it, again, didn't work. Mind-boggling. At this point, the pain became very focused for me on my right-hand side. And I had convinced myself I had appendicitis. Mm. And so I made an appointment with my regular doctor. 
and I went into her office, um, took time off work to go. And I said, look, I think I have appendicitis. And she says, you don't have any nausea? And I said, nope, no vomiting, nope, no fever. She said, so it's not appendicitis. She goes, you're just going to have to go home and wait this out. You might have torn torn a muscle. Wait, this you is wacky. You might have tweeted something. You know what's I crazy, I don't want to shit on internists, um, but like my dad... He's always like, you go to the specialist for, you know, like. But even doctors, have you guys heard of this show on Netflix called Diagnosis? No. All I do is watch TV. I'm obsessed with it. There's a woman that writes for the New York Times. Her name's Dr. Linda something. And so she will find someone with a crazy disease, right? Or crazy symptoms that people don't know about. She'll write an article about it. She'll put it in the New York Times. And then people from all around the world that have had similar things will send in videos. And it's always opposite of what the doctor told this person. Well, there's just like a lot of... It's crazy. That's why they call it practicing medicine. (laughs) And and I... That's so funny. And the... Well, the frustrating thing for me is that was all I was complaining about was the pain. That's so crazy That's of I her to about. say that you had to go wait it out without right? ordering so, any tests or any scans. Yep. And I asked for them and I was told that she couldn't order them. So I came home and I told my husband, look, I swear I'm going to, my appendix is going to burst. And I said some really not nice things about my doctor. It's fine. And mm. and my husband spent all night on Google and found a really rare form of appendicitis that presents with no nausea, no vomiting, no fever. So we printed it out and took it in the next morning when she, her office opened. And I was like, now can you order it? And she goes, okay, but I can't order it emergently. You're going to have to wait three days. And I said, that's fine. And she said, so so monitor yourself if your temperature goes up by more than one degree. She goes, go to the ER, call me, I'll meet you there. So, so in, but in all fairness to her, while we complain about it, it being the practice of medicine, the only thing I was complaining about to her was the pain. Mm. Knowing the symptoms of ovarian cancer, I had so many more symptoms, but I didn't know they were symptoms. Which were I, what? So I had put myself on a diet <laughs> and I was drinking a ton of water and I was going to the bathroom all the time. I had to go all the time. And there were several times where I had to pee and I didn't make it to the bathroom on time. Mm. And I just figured, well, good for me. I'm doing a lot of drinking of my water. I should have paid attention to my body more closely and not waited so long to get to the bathroom. Mm. And it was embarrassing. I didn't want to admit to anybody that I hadn't made it to the bathroom on time. Yeah. That's the standard symptom of ovarian cancer. But I attributed it to this diet that I had myself on. Um, Another symptom that I experienced was being super hungry and then going to eat and then feeling full after one or two bites. But again, I put myself on this diet and I was patting myself on the back for it. Yay, Carrie. You're doing such a good job shrinking your stomach. You're not hungry. Way to go, Carrie. So in all fairness, I didn't share those symptoms with my doctor because they were things that I attributed to the diet that I was on. Yeah. So had I known they were symptoms of ovarian cancer or really had someone at some point lecture me to tell the doctor every symptom that you're experiencing, not just the one that made you make the appointment, I might have been an easier diagnosis. Wow. So I can't hold her completely responsible because I didn't tell her 
all of the symptoms. But a good lesson to all of us, right? To really listen to your body and be completely mm-hmm. transparent and maybe bring up things that you don't think are anything. Or even if you right. think you're embarrassed about. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, totally. So, so I, I tell people now, make sure you share all of your symptoms. Anything that's not normal to you on a daily basis, when you go to the doctor, share everything. Not just what made you make the appointment, but everything. And that actually also goes back to something I mentioned, Carrie, which is nobody wants to, when you go to the doctor, nobody wants to jump to, I have a really bad stomach ache to, oh, that might be ovarian cancer. And that, because we don't have a test, you know, they don't leap to that possibility or conclusion. It's so wild to me to hear that we've been to the moon and we don't have a test for things like this. Like it just doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense in my head. I know obviously there's like a logical answer. It just, it doesn't computate. I think some of it, unfortunately, I get really cynical, but it's money, you know, because when you look at the numbers, for example, for breast cancer, the number of women impacted, you know, it's only, it's only quote unquote 22,000 women a year that are diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So only Mm. 15,000 of us are going to pass away. So there isn't a spotlight on it. So there's not, it's not worth the money. Just Mm. because there's less people diagnosed, yeah. Plus, who wants to talk about your ovaries when it's much cooler to talk about breasts? Yeah, boobs are much sexier. What can we do? Like, I mean, aside from... Well, this is a good thing. This is a... I mean, we're going to blast this out to at least like 40,000 girls. Yeah. I feel like... um, I feel like they're in health class. Someone should come that has been through everything and they should tell the class about how they found out they got something. But Carrie, what were you going to say about something we can do? Because you were talking about money earlier. So uh, I think one is, is for me, um, it's they, for my survival, they have to find a cure. So for me, it's about raising money for research. So whether that money goes to the ovarian cancer Alliance, um, or one of the other foundations that's supporting ovarian cancer research, um, I know that American cancer society funnels like $26 million every year for, ovarian cancer research. Um, so that's where I choose to have my money go. Um, but there are several different places people can donate money, um, in order for there to be research. Um, that only takes care of people who've already been diagnosed though. So I can tell you what I do, um, to raise awareness on my personal Facebook and Instagram page. I share the symptoms. I call it teal Tuesday, um, every September. Um, I share the symptoms and I encourage my friends to share the symptoms um, with all of the women in their life. I also have little postcards made of the signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer and I leave them in public restrooms. Wow, that's, <laughs> I love that that's idea. Amazing. That's awesome. Doing the Lord's work. Um, other, I, like, I, I just pass them around because I think that if people are, the more aware you are, the earlier it can be diagnosed, the better the survival rate. Right. Oh, also, just so the, in case people don't know, the teal Tuesday, the teal is the ovarian cancer color. In case people on the podcast don't know, that's yeah. uh, because teal is for ovarian cancer. Yeah. We, we're not blue. We're not green. Mm-hmm. We're teal. And, and, <laughs> and, I, and I love the teal because it stands for take early action and live. Oh, that's oh, great. That's I love so good. that. Carrie, you were mentioning, um, so the American Cancer Society, but what if I want to give to specifically ovarian cancer? You said there was another website. Oh, um, I believe it's called the Ovarian Cancer... Are you talking about OCRA? Yes. 
I always get the letters of it mixed up. Their acronym for me is very hard to remember for some reason. It used to be OCRF. It used to be Ovarian Cancer Research Fund. You literally just said that before you got on the phone. It used to be Ovarian Cancer Research Fund. They merged with National Ovarian Cancer Coalition, so they became Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance. Okay, Research Alliance. Thank you so much. I'm like, NOC was easier to remember. I don't know. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) The new acronym is hard for me. All right, well, girls, women... Thank you so much for joining us today. Like this was so informative. Thank you for doing this and sharing this with all of your viewers. It's the least we could do. I know. It's really, it's so nice to have you guys come on and, you know, just openly share about everything in such a brave way and just everything you guys do, like leaving stuff in restrooms and bald is beautiful. It's, it's really encouraging and beautiful. And I think you guys have taken this thing and like really turned it on its head. And that's so cool. Carrie, we're, you know, we're thinking of you, praying for you. Hope that thank you, you know, sending you turns out good. And donating to research. Research. And hugs from over here. We didn't get to see you in person, but I'm always hugging you. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, Carrie. Thank you. Bye, bye, Sharon. Thank you so much for being here and taking the trip over to our place to be with us in person. Yeah, just so you guys know, I geeked out a little because Sharon, um, Sharon shared that it can I say like what go ahead yeah. okay so in <laughs> Captain Marvel she plays Ben Mendelssohn's wife Soren my name is Soren uh, the Skrull and I'm like totally obsessed and totally geeked down and was like what's Jake Gyllenhaal and Samuel Jackson like and she's so stunning so where can people follow you and find you uh, they can follow me at bald dot is dot beautiful that's on Instagram mm-hmm. and my website is bald is beautiful dot org amazing thank you so much thank you guys guys, so much you don't go away listeners we have one more guest after this my friend jamie hawsons is going to talk about how ovarian cancer affect her and her family Um, but we're going to take a quick break right now peace you guys i have one of my best friends on the line jamie hoskins um she's calling from buffalo (laughs) jamie What's up? So, Jamie, I talked at the beginning of the podcast. This is like obviously like the most emotional. It's like really hard to talk about. Um, about how our friendship started during like probably the roughest time of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, when your mom was in like her last stage of her cancer battle. And I just wanted to talk to you about how like, I don't know. I guess just like how it affects the family and because we we you know and like what your mom's symptoms were because i remember you saying that like you, she didn't think that she had anything wrong with her for a while right so um my mom was 48 when she was diagnosed back in 2007 and i can remember we went on a it wasn't a class trip i was in show choir yeah this is we the trip were, that i remember hearing about yeah we were we were headed to disney to perform there and my parents were chaperones and at that point my mom had been having some type of stomach issue for a while and it felt as though she was drinking like a bottle of pepto-bismol a day wow, you I know yeah. and so she was having very like common symptoms for like i don't want to say everyday things but things that don't seem like overly alarming and so she had she kind of had these stomach issues for a while and she was going to her regular doctor um and they were first just looking at her intestines and they were saying you know maybe maybe this is what it is and eventually they sent her for a scan and when they sent her for a scan they noticed masses on both her ovaries but um 
they weren't sure at that point if it was cancerous. Um, and so they decided to do surgery. And it wasn't until they physically opened her up that we knew that it was cancer. And one of the hardest parts about that was um, my mom had a hysterectomy. And at that time, um, they took everything but her ovaries because they felt like it would be too much for her to be Whoa. on some type of hormone oh, therapy. I don't Shit. remember that part. So That's she crazy. had a hysterectomy. And what was the purpose of that? So she, I don't I don't recall because I'm I'm the last of three children and she had had it after me and I I don't even remember her having it. In fact, the first time I remember knowing that she had a hysterectomy was after she was diagnosed and my parents telling me. So wow. she had what's called a partial hysterectomy where they took everything but the ovaries. And wow. so I mean, we'll never we'll never know. If if they had taken them then, if that would have changed oh my the course of things. Because my mom, um, when we were in grad school, actually, she had a hysterectomy because she had um, a very unusual fibroma on hers. And, you know... If, I didn't know that about your mom. Yeah, because it ended up being nothing. Yeah. Um, but that's just so insane that your mom had a hysterectomy and they didn't take the ovaries because they didn't want to throw her into menopause. Right. Right. Wow. So they didn't want her to be Ugh. on some, you know, stringent hormone therapy because she didn't have them. Yeah. We had um, yeah. two women on before we called you and it seems as though an issue with the stomach yeah. is, yeah, that's kind of like the theme here where it was that yeah. or it was bloating or maybe going to the bathroom and not making it. Um, right. And that, that's what I meant by like pretty much everyday symptoms. Like you could think you're just having gas or you ate something funny. Right. You know. And they're such simple symptoms, you know, like I have those symptoms on a regular basis right. uh, for random things. Like when I, <laughs> I ate too much fast food, I feel like garbage. Right. Or I'm full. Yeah. Or I drank right. a lot of water today. Yeah. Um, right. Another thing is um, you, what was I going to say? I'm blanking. So, oh, yeah. The other thing yeah. was that they were talking about how you can't get a true diagnosis until you mm-hmm. actually have the surgery. Yeah, until they cut you open, which is insane. It's insane. Right. It, it, it's very hard. I, I was 16 when my mom was diagnosed, so some of the details aren't uh, are a little fuzzy for me, but I do remember her having multiple tests and them checking her levels because even when she had to go get chemo, they or her regular tests her I wish she had them like every three months they would test her blood levels and there's a marker in your blood level that tells you that could tell you it's not definitive if if there's cancerous cells in your body yep that's what they were saying they're like it's a test but it doesn't really determine anything Mm -hmm. right um so if if there's high levels i can't remember what it was off the top of my head um then there's a chance that there's cancer present. And initially, I do not believe my mom had any of those signs. So, you know, we really, really had zero idea until they went in. And I will never forget it. My my dad, my sisters, me, my Aunt Deb was there. My Uncle Dave was there. We were all sitting at a round table in like a family waiting room. And the head doctor came in and was like, Mark, I need to talk to you. And my dad was like, is it okay if my daughters come? And he said yes. And we went into a separate room and, and they were like, it's stage four ovarian cancer. And there's only five stages. So, um, you know, we were all just kind of taken aback we were just kind of shocked and to be honest with you I don't even remember if I cried I just remember just kind of sitting there you're shell-shocked right you don't I mean you don't really know what to do you don't know what the next steps are 
And honestly, like I was more emotional waiting to find out because once you find out, then you can make a plan on how to tackle it. And at least for me, having a plan to tackle it calmed me down much more than, you know, than the unknown areas going in my head. Yeah. Of course. Wow. And then your mom did, didn't she go into remission? Yes. Yep. She went into remission once and then there was another period where, um, you know, she, there was cancer spots, but they weren't growing or anything. Um, so my mom battled ovarian cancer for five years total. And so after she was diagnosed in my hometown, my parents made the decision for her to get treated in New York city, which I believe is the best decision they made. And I believe if she didn't go there, we wouldn't have had five years with her. And so she, so she had her first major surgery. It was in June. And then uh, we immediately started going down there for her to get treatment. And then she had her second major surgery on my birthday and it was on homecoming weekend and she wanted to cancel her major surgery because I was up for homecoming queen. And I was like, that's honestly the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. (laughs) So (laughs) she actually framed my homecoming photo and it's still in my parents' bedroom now because she was so upset that she missed homecoming. But, um, you know, no, God, no, thank God. Well, it's still look really cool to be nominated. (laughs) You're so pretty. Well, our school did it in a way where, like, somebody from every group could be nominated, like every extracurricular thing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Um, I wanted to ask James, because a lot of the conversations we had um, with the two women that were just on, um, genetics came up. And so mm-hmm. is this something, obviously, you know, we're all trying to do our part with like spreading awareness, but do you, do you kind of take steps to, to find out if this is something that maybe runs in your family or that you could potentially be dealing with? So at the time when my mom had it, she was, they encouraged her to be tested for the gene. And at the time she had it, the test that they had uh, showed up that she doesn't, she didn't have the gene. Wow. So we didn't have to be tested for it. Right. Um, however, I have heard, and I don't know how true this is, that the tests they have now test for a lot, a, a lot more things than, than it did back then. So it's possible that it didn't pick something up. Um, I will say that for a long time after she passed, I didn't see any doctors. And I now regularly go back to doctors. And um, it, it's definitely something that they doctors have kind of stopped at when I bring it up. And then they're much more cautious about certain things. So like, for example, a little bit of TMI, the birth control I'm on, I'm specifically on because it could, um, it could positively benefit me if something like that were to happen. That's wow. what I was, I was talking about that earlier. Um, I think, you know, there was this big study was on the Today Show yesterday about like women and especially like sex drives and, and their hormones and how, um, how so many women are like not trying to be on the pill anymore because they're worried it affects their hormones. And I was like, yeah, but it also like really helps prevent 
ovarian and breast cancer. Oh, well, a right. lot of things. Like, I, you know, I have to take it for endo and fibroids. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of good. There's a lot it. of bad. There's right. a lot of good. Yeah. Um, right. But that's, yeah, that's crazy, Jane. I just wanted to talk yeah. about, like, how, like, your day-to-day was when you're with your mom when she was, like, you know, when her, she was, had, when she had it and when she was okay. home and how it was yeah. being around so, her. Right. So the one... The one phrase that always comes to mind is something that my dad said to me and my sisters towards the end of my mom's life. We were at, a ho- at the hospital in New York, and they had just told us that um, there were pretty much no other treatment options for her. And my dad pulled me and my sisters out into the hallway, and he said, you can't control the hand you're dealt. You can just control how you play the game. And... Um, you know, I give my parents so much credit for getting us through those five years because it, it wasn't, my parents treated it as, oh my gosh, my mom has cancer. She, they treated it as, this is just another part of life. This is just something else we have to take care of. And so, you know, um, my mom would get her treatment sometimes two, three times a month. And so we'd make the three and a half hour drive from Binghamton to New York on Fridays. Uh, We'd all take turns taking her. Sometimes her friends would take her. Um, Sometimes we'd go as groups. And um, we tried to make them all kind of like trips, which sounds weird, but we'd get to the hospital. My mom would get her tests done. They'd set her up with chemo, and sometimes she'd get chemo for seven, eight hours a day. And so she would sleep or watch TV or something, and me and my sisters would always go out and find a new dessert for her or a piece of candy. Mm -hmm. My mom loves sweets and stuff like that. And so... When she was going through it, it was just kind of, um, we have to do what we have to do and we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to make that happen, mm-hmm. you know, to give her the best quality of life, um, the best way we can, you know, within our means kind of thing. And so that was kind of the, the point of view my dad took and, and kind of led us with. And I'm forever grateful that he did because I, I never, I mean, I had moments where I was scared and I was very upset, but I would say... of the time, it was just another part of life, another thing that we had to take care of. Um, uh, The hardest part for me, which I I feel like is weird that that it was hard for me, is when my mom lost her hair because Mm. it was just me and my mom at, at our house and she was, she was just off that day and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And she was in our sunroom and I finally went back there and she was crying and I was like, mom, what is wrong with you? And she just looks at me. She doesn't say anything. And she ran her hand through her hair and like a clump just fell out. And I didn't know what to say to her because, you know, that's like uh, hair for women is like a sign of your womanhood. Yeah, you know? we were just talking about, about that. Yeah. And and so we had already gone and looked at wigs and, you know, we put my mom had short hair. We put long haired wigs on her and pink wigs on her and whatever. And uh, we had a hairdresser that we had my whole life. And I said, I'm going to ironically enough, her name was Angel. And um, I said, I'm going to call Angel and and we'll get your head shaved and we'll put a wig on and, and that'll be that. And I called Angel and she was like, come here now. And, and we Aww. went in a back room so nobody could see it happen. And and she just she just silently cried as they shaved her head. And that for me was the hardest part because that was like that was the physical sign that it was actually happening. Right. You know, because what. What a lot of people I don't think understand is when someone's going through cancer, it's not the cancer that makes them weak. It's not the cancer that makes them tired or can't get off the couch. Uh, it's the treatment. Yeah. It's the treatment that yeah, knocks you yeah. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's wild. You know, and so, I mean, 
selfishly, when I look back on it, the things that are hard for me are the things that, that I had to go through and not the things that, that she had to go through. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, at, at 22 years old, I was giving my mom a bath. I was helping her go to the bathroom, you know, and and when you're a 22 year old, you're not thinking that that's going to be part of your life, you know, but I can't imagine what that felt like for her. Um, That's what I was going to ask. Like, how did she react to being so helpless and needing you so much? You know, at at that point, when uh, right around the time that you and I started hanging out, um, at that point, it's just like she has to go to the bathroom. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think she's thinking about that. And, you know... Uh, prior to that, when my mom was first diagnosed, they put a colostomy bag in her and, it, and a colostomy bag is when they literally pull a piece of your colon out of a hole in your stomach and attach a plastic bag and you don't go to the bathroom that it goes through the bag. Yeah. And when it goes into the bag, you take it off and rinse it out. And so I, I did that in the beginning then they reversed the colostomy bag, but it was really the end because you could just kind of tell. And it's so weird. They gave us a book when my mom was in the hospital to say, um, my mom was in a religious hospital, so the book was like, your your body actually knows a year ahead of time wow. that it's coming to an end. And it there's weird signs. And we all read the book, and we were all like, this is so creepy because Whoa. these things happened. What did you it know? say? So it just kind of says, it, it, it explained it like this. Your body is a car. And when you have a vehicle and it starts shutting down, eventually you just need to dispose of the vehicle because it is not serving you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my mom would get get tired a lot. And that was partly the treatment. But then um, she, she used to love going on Facebook. She would comment on all my statuses. And she'd mm-hmm. always want to check it, you know. And slowly she's like, no, I don't want to do that. And my mom was always very sociable. Her best friends would call and she'd sit and talk to them for hours. And then she'd be like, well, I'll call them back later. And then eventually she just would be like, don't answer. You know, so Mm -hmm. it it was just like some, some like weird things. Um, But at the very, towards the very end, um, my mom, my mom worked up until two months before she died. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Her, her boss was like, she was in so much pain for, for a while that, her boss was like, Mary, you can work from home, but you need to go home. And um, my dad, one morning, he wo- they woke up and my mom's stomach was so extended. My dad was like, we have to take you to the hospital. And that, that was kind of the beginning of the end. She was taken by ambulance to New York City. Um, and wow. and uh, that's, where they, that's where they told us, like, we'll try one more chemo treatment if she's strong enough and and... And then we'll go from there. And so um, after a short hospital stay, they came back and my mom and dad went down for her for chemo treatment and she couldn't even get out of the car by herself. And that, 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 you know, that, that was kind of when we knew. um, And the doctor was like, she's too weak. If we, if we give her chemo right now, she's going to die. And so they drove her back up and actually my mom, if I remember correctly, my dad got gas and got back in the car and my mom said, you know, this is it. And my dad's like, don't say that. He's like, she's like, no, I know. Like, this is it. And so she stayed home for a few weeks after that. And, um, you know, that's, I, I left grad school and, um, and, you know, she wouldn't want to eat. She would fight us about it. She just wanted to sit in the chair. She eventually had to start using a walker. And then um, two weeks before she passed, um, 
my dad was, it was Halloween weekend. Um, and my dad was like, you need to go back to school and you need to go out with your friends. And I didn't want to leave. And he's like, Jamie, nothing's going to happen. And if it does, I'll call you. Syracuse is only an hour away. And I said, okay. And so I drove back to Syracuse. We all went out. Um, and I was on my way back thinking nothing of it. And it was so weird because there was a minivan in front of me with a quote about what cancer can't do. And my phone rang and it was my dad. And he goes, I don't, he goes, are you in the car? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I do not want you to freak out. I want you to be safe, but your mother's in the hospital. And I probably did 120 all the way back to Binghamton. I was halfway home. And, um, what had happened was he had helped her into the bathroom and as they were walking out, her legs gave out. And at that point she was dead weight and he couldn't lift her. (sighs) And so, um, they called the ambulance and they took her, they took her to the hospital. She was in the emergency room for a while. And then they put her in a room and they were, they kept her on all her meds and stuff. And it was, um, the weekend of hurricane Sandy and the hospital we were in had flooded previously years before. And so oh my God. Um, I'll never forget the flag ripping in the wind outside. And there was nowhere for me to sleep. So I slept on hard plastic chairs. And um, and uh, the night after Sandy had, had thankfully missed our area, um, they finally got me a chair and I go to sit in it. And I was there by myself because my dad's taking care of my grandma and my sisters have families. And I go to sit in the chair and my mom goes, that chair's for my daughter. And I was like, mom, I am your daughter. And she goes, oh, sorry, sorry. And then she started making weird noises. And I called the nurse and she's like, okay, we'll be right in. Well, she kept making weird noises. So I ran out and I was like, you need to get in here right now. And they came in and they gave her pain medicine. And all of a sudden, all these sounds just started happening. And a doctor comes in and they were like, does she have a, a DNR, a do not resuscitate? And I said, she does not want to be resuscitated. And they're like, well, we can't find it. I was like, I am telling you, she does not want to be resuscitated. And they, they were like, well, you need to get out of here. And they pushed me out. What? And, and flipped her back and resuscitated her. And I'm calling my dad and he flies down and my sisters fly down. And they determined that, I can't remember, blood pressure or uh, pain medicine can make your blood pressure either go up or down. I can't remember which one it is. And whatever it does, her blood pressure was already in that state. So when they had given her more pain medicine, it had exacerbated the state, which is why she was acting the way she was acting. And so um, so the next day, um, you know, we had been up for like 24 hours because we were nervous that something was going to happen. And um, she was just in constant pain. They they wouldn't give her the, the pain medicine she was having. They gave her something else, which only lasted like an hour or so. Mm. And my dad had gone home to sleep. And my uncle, my mom's brother was there. And I, uh, she kept, you know, saying she was in pain. And my uncle threw a fit. And um, my mom looks at us and goes, I need to talk to your father. And um, we called my dad and he came down. And we were all standing around her bed. And, and she said... Sorry, I haven't talked about this in a long time. Um, You know, she told us all that she loved us, and she told my brother-in-laws that she was thankful that my sisters had met them. And um, she asked if it was okay if if she stopped doing what we were doing and let go. And and we told her, yeah. 
And then she refused pain medicine because she wanted to be awake for her last rites. And so we called our priest and she was awake for her last rites. And then they took her off all of her medicines and we got moved into a different wing in the hospital. And uh, she lived for a week and a half after that. And That's, it was weird. Because, that, wow. Yeah, it was weird because... Um, for a couple of days, she would open her eyes and stuff, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't answer us. But if somebody was praying, she'd pray every word mm-hmm. till like her last day. It was it was like very odd, but it was just kind of like, um, kind of like she was sleeping, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, like I guess her body was there, but I don't know if she was fully there. Um, and then, um, Jamie, uh, I'm so sorry. It's, it's okay. Um, and then. It was a Friday morning, and uh, we, me and my sister slept on the floor of the hospital for two weeks with my dad, and they eventually moved us to a room that had its own, like, family room, so there was a couple couches, but we had all been sleeping in the room that night, and me and my sister were like, oh, we're going to go lay on the couch. We go lay on the couch, and I don't know how much time had passed. My aunt came and woke us up and said, you need to come in here, and uh, she had just passed, like, a minute before, and so... Um, it was very weird and we just kind of sat there and my dad looked at me. I can't, I still can't believe this part, but he looked at me and he's like, you're going to finish school. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. Dad. not really what I need to talk about right wow. now. Wow. Because that's what my mom wanted. And so, yeah. but it did help. You know. It's, it did. Know. I was at school a week later. Wow. Jamie, thank you so I much for sharing that right with now, us. So I don't know how you're, I don't know how you could tell the story. <laughs> Um, it can just like, it's, it's like a nice kind of way for us to spiritually end this podcast. If you could talk about what happened, even if you believe in God or whatnot on the, on the wall of your mom's hospital. (laughs) Um, so in the, so my mom in her last two week of hospital stay, she was in three different rooms. And after she had asked to be taken off the pain medicine, we were in this one room. And, you know, we were all kind of in this weird state and I had been in a waiting room with the guy I had been dating at the time. He didn't want to go in the room to see my mom. He he just wanted to me to know that he was there. And so I had been in that room just talking to him for a while and he left and it was like, I don't know, probably 11 o'clock at night. And I go back in and my aunt's asleep in a chair. My sister's on a cot. My dad's in another chair. And my oldest sister, Amy, is sitting next to the bed holding my mom's hand and her eyes are just like wide open. And I was like, uh, Amy, are you okay? And she just goes, do you see them? And I go, do I see what? And she was like, the circles. And I was like, Amy, you need to go to bed. And she's like, Jamie, I'm telling you, do you see them? And I was like, Amy, you need to go to bed. And so I laid down on a cot and started to fall asleep and I hear my aunt wake up and my aunt's talking to her and Amy's saying the same thing. She's seeing these white circles on the wall and, um, and my aunt's like, okay, okay. She's like trying to calm her down. And then my aunt's like, oh my God, I see them. And so we're like, okay, whatever, you know? So another day passes and, and, um, my sister says she was seeing them again. And so we're looking at the wall and it's the wall at the foot of my mom's bed and and sure enough, I start seeing these circles. And then I was like, well, maybe our brains are making us see these things. 
And so we start saying where we're seeing them on the wall and we're all seeing them in the same spot at the same time. What? And, and so, um, you know, so the next day we like asked my mom, we're like, oh, do you see Nana, which is her mother? And she goes, no. And we're like, do you see Papa, which is my dad's dad? And she's like, no, we're asking all these people. And then we say, do you see Pa, which was her father? And she goes, oh yeah, I talked to him. And we were like, you did? And she goes, yeah. And we go, uh, does he want you to go with her, with him? And and she goes, no, not yet. And we were like, what? So then we got moved to this this last room, which had the family room onto it just for our family. Right. And the circles were on the wall that night in that room. Wow. So me and my sister snuck back into the old room to see if we saw them and they weren't there. And so the Thursday before she died, we're all sitting in this room and um, my sister, I think it was my sister or my aunt goes, and eventually everyone was seeing them, like more than just my sisters and my aunt. My dad saw them, like other family members that came were seeing them. Eventually, that Thursday night, we started seeing crosses and that, you know, and then we're overanalyzing things. We're like, it's the things on the wall that like, we're just kind of seeing. And it was weird. It was like glowing white light. Right. And so wow. we're seeing the crosses and um and the next day she died and we never saw them again that's wild what do you think, think they mean i just like i just like it you know we, we think that you know um it was, it was people coming to take her to the other side you know her yeah. parents her her parents died within 9 months of each other um 3 years before she was diagnosed with cancer and my other grandfather had passed and an uncle had passed and um, you know, she had a lot of people on the other side. Mm. And so, uh, you know, we like to think that they were getting her ready to go and that they, you know, assisted her over. And that your mom that, is in such good company right now and no longer in pain and that. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think, um, uh, for us, not that the situation is ever easy for anyone, but knowing that she was ready, like having her tell us that she was ready, mm-hmm. I think played a big role in being able to um, process it, to to accept it almost. You know, and it's it'll be seven years in November since she's passed, which seems impossible. Um you know, and I still have I still have really hard moments, but at the end of the day, I know that she was ready, and and that that kind of helps me uh, move through it. Of course. And um, the the thing that I think is most important for people to understand, if you have someone who's gone through losing a loved one as close as a mother or father or a sibling or a child or or whatnot, is that. Um, the pain never goes away. The grief never goes away. You just find a way to work with it in your life. You know, you find a way to accept it and you find a way to live in in this new state. And that's not to say like I'm always grief stricken. It's just that there truly isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about my mother. And there isn't a day where I'm like, oh man, I wish I could call her and tell her this that happens all the time more more times than I can count um it just means that I I know how to process it I know how to process those feelings now much better than I did before what was your mom's name Jane Mary Mary well this Mm -hmm. 
Ashley really wanted to do this podcast, definitely inspired and dedicated to Mary. And, and I story. truly appreciate yeah. that. Okay, let's leave now. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Jamie, thank you so much. Like, I don't know how you can tell the story and like you stay composed. You are truly a special speaker. So <laughs> you know, unreal. yeah. Thank you. And, and thanks Jamie's for sharing. Always been all super, of that. like, amazing when she has to like vocalize her feelings, even though she thinks that's like not easy for her. <laughs> She's always no, you are really composed. good at it, James. Um, thank you. All right. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, and thank you guys for listening to this long, this long podcast. But I think it was long for a reason. And Jamie, was there anything that your mom wanted to spread as far as like the awareness of ovarian cancer goes? Like, you know, I I think this is going to be a couple parts. I'm sorry to extend your podcast. <laughs> okay. But, uh, the first is if something doesn't feel right, get it checked out, no matter what even if it's very minor, get it checked out uh, and, and know the symptoms of ovarian cancer if you're a woman because they are so simple and you can look right over them. And then the other thing was uh, my mom was involved in a clinical trial uh, where she te- mm-hmm. where we didn't know if she was on a placebo or, a, or a, the actual um, experimental drug. Um, and I believe that extended her life because when she, when she was doing the clinical trial, um, uh, it, her, her cancer improved. Um, if you can even say it that way, basically it didn't get worse. Mm -hmm. And I do believe it shrunk. And we later found out she was on the clinical trial. And the first time they asked her, she said no. And the second time she said yes, because she said if by her doing this, it could save one other life, then she should be doing it. And so, you know, uh, if you are unfortunately faced with something this difficult, um, I encourage people to to become part of those clinical trials because it could save their life or save someone else's. That's great advice. That's great advice. Yeah, and, that was something we haven't heard. And and lastly, um, you know, I talked to my dad before I came on the podcast, and I said, "Is there anything that you think people should know about ovarian cancer?" And he said, "You know, I just want people who are considering a hysterectomy to." really talk to their doctors about the option of leaving their ovaries in or not. Wow. Because we have no idea if that could have changed her life. Wow. Yeah. Jamie, thank you so much. Your family is incredible. You are so strong and brave and we love you. And I hope everyone listening really to, I mean, I learned so much on this Mm -hmm. podcast. I came in not knowing much about ovarian at all. And now I feel like I know what to look for and what the symptoms are and how, you know, we spoke to someone whose unfortunately life was lost because of it, someone who's currently going through it and someone who sur- has survived it now three times. Um, so yeah, September is Ovarian Awareness Month. Thank you guys. Bye. I this podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It.